Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> dang there we go. Shana, I'm gonna need you to quit laughing. I'm just gonna keep recording and I I'll just, edit this out. As soon as you like start, you just get this glow about you and just start <laughs> smiling. I love it. Okay. Hey y'all, this is Shantae with Trauma Transformation, the podcast, and you're listening to season one, Adoptees Mask Off. It's where we'll have an opportunity to hear from 16 adoptees from all over the world, share their stories of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the joy that comes with being an adoptee. I believe that our trauma can be transformed into triumph. So turn me up, grab you some tissue, hug yourself close. Know that you are loved, valued, and enough. And now... Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, welcome to Trauma Transformation, the podcast. You are listening to episode number one. Now, sitting here to my left is someone that is near and dear and very, very special to me. Um, I met her when I moved to Tulsa um, almost a year ago, and she has been just a special person in my life. Special person? What's your name? Hi, I'm Shauna. It is so nice to have you here, Shauna. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm just going to ask that you go easy on the questions. Of course. <laughs> All right. I just want everybody to know that Shantae is the face behind this podcast. Why don't you tell us who you are and what inspired you to create this podcast that's going to touch so many people's lives? Wow, out the gate, we yes. just start off. Okay, Barbara Walters. Who I am, I'll start with that part. Who I am is, without a doubt, I am a child of God. I think next behind that, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, and I'm a daughter with several parents <laughs> because I was adopted. So being able to create something for the adoptee community is really and truly a blessing and a privilege that I don't take lightly. And I didn't know for certain that it was um, trauma from being adopted um, that kind of led me down some of the paths that I was on in life. It was trauma that was unhealed, trauma I wouldn't recognize or acknowledge. And I took some wrong turns in life, but those wrong turns eventually turned into a right one. Something you might not know about Shantae is that she is studying to be a counselor. So some things you might hear on these podcasts can help people in ways to cope. What kind of audience is going to need to hear this podcast? I think without a doubt that there are many out there in this world who, for whatever reason, has been separated from their biological parent. And that separation itself is trauma. And there are people out there very similar to me who deal consistently with things like um, identity issues and fear of rejection and, and fear of abandonment. And a lot of us just as humans, period, have those fears, you know, and concerns. But for adoptees, it is typically 
at a higher escalated level because behind all of that, a lot of us at our core just have this understanding that I'm unwanted, you know, and that I was abandoned by a biological parents. And that is in essence what happened regardless of how it happened. And that's really the point that I want to hit home is because this is not a podcast where we will come in and just bash foster parents and adopted parents and birth parents, because there is a level of compassion and grace that I need to have for everyone because none of us are perfect. But I do believe that this is creating a community, if anything, around adoptees that kind of give us this togetherness and this understanding that I am not in this alone. So do you think that you'll have any stories on here, maybe from the perspective of the parents that are adopting children? Possibly. Um, So far, what I have are former foster children and adoptees that are lined up to kind of tell their story. But maybe eventually we do get to the point where we're able to hear it from the point of view of a foster parent or adopted parent or even a birth parent, because it's called an adoption triad. And it's called a triad because there's three points to the adoption. There's the birth parents, the ones that gave the life, you know, and then there's the adopted or foster care or whatever system you may be in. And then there is the child. So the foster child, the adopted child, it's a triad of all three of us. And I think each voice is important. Wow. 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 So I know your podcast is going to inspire so many people's lives. So Shantae, tell me a little bit about your story. What makes you, you and what you've been through in life? Gotcha. I was born in a small town in Oklahoma, um, where I spent the first 18 years of my life in Southeast Oklahoma. Um, At 16 is when I was at a school function and all the county schools were there. And in front of me, there was a girl in a chair and she kept turning around to look at me and I didn't know who she was. And I kind of just saw her out of my, what is that? The peripheral vision? (laughs) I just saw her, you know, that side eye, I saw her. And so eventually I turned around and was kind of giving her this face, like, what are you looking at? And the moment I made eye contact with her, I knew something was definitely going on because she had my face and she looks at me and she said, did you know that you were my sister? And I said, huh? And she goes, we do look a lot alike. So let me back up for just a minute. (laughs) I talked about being, you know, born and raised in a small town in Southeast Oklahoma, but I didn't give you any demographics of my family. So I was in a home with African-American parents. So I had a black mother, a black father, and all of my siblings were black as well. Well, what was so confusing about this girl that was talking to me is that she was not black at all. She was actually white. And that's where I think the biggest level of confusion came from in that moment, because I'm like, how can we be sisters? I mean, my mom is black, my dad is black, and you're white. So how does this come full circle? 
And then here's what made it so bad is right at that moment, the program that we were attending started. So I had to sit there and wait for almost two hours before I had a chance to talk to her again. So you can probably imagine at 16, my wheels are rolling and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and how all of this is possible. Because one thing that was evident is that I am a lighter complexion than the family that raised me. And That was until that point, I hadn't put a whole lot of thought into that because black people come in all colors, like, you know, that spectrum of brown to, you know, caramel to Hershey's. That's a pretty big spectrum. So I didn't think too much about the fact that I was so much lighter than everyone else in my family. So, of course, at this point now I'm starting to take a closer look at everything. And it's two hours that I can't go back and talk to her. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, you know, in my 16 year old brain, well, I do look different from everybody else. And I am just a little different than everybody else. And there had often been moments where I felt like I didn't really fit in. So all of these things are starting to play. Well, after it's over, she comes up and she talks to me and I'm like, how are you my sister? And she goes, well, your parents that have you now are not really your parents my mom is really your mom and she had you and gave you up for adoption when you were born. Wow. What a way to be told that. Right. And so I was still confused, but she went and got a piece of paper and wrote a phone number down and put the woman's name on it. And she said, this is our mother. Give her a call. At 16. At 16. My school leaves that function and we go to Pizza Hut where there's a payphone. And for everybody that doesn't know what a payphone is, it's that square thing that used to hang on the wall and you'd have to put money in it. That's a payphone. And so the first thing I did was, of course, I made a call to the only mother I knew as mother because I needed to clear some things up. Like we 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 needs to talk. Right. So, I mean, and I'm acting all hard, but I have a black mother. I'm not going to be that hard because I needed all of my teeth. But I call and and I'm like, Mama you know, it's a white girl here saying that she's my sister. I couldn't see her through the phone, but voice that came back to me, it sounded a little like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. And it sounded like her head had turned all the way around on her shoulders. And and she said, you tell them that you're my baby and nobody else's. And then she hung up. So I'm like, that's it. I did it. I'm in trouble now. Like when I get home, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be grounded. Like I'm going to be in trouble. And so what's the next thing I do? I look down at the number that's in my hand and there's the number to quote unquote my mother. So I pick up the phone again and I make a collect call to this lady. And right when the operator came on and she said, you have a collect call from, I was supposed to say my name. But unfortunately, in that moment, fear had gotten the best of me and my voice, no words would come out. And it was just like air. And then I heard some clicks and I just assumed that she had hung up because I never said my name. But then the next voice that I heard on the line changed my life. The next voice that came on the phone, she said, Shantae, is that you? And I knew immediately in that moment that I had heard that voice before. That voice was familiar to me. And in that moment, nothing else made sense other than the fact that this woman is my mother. And I don't know how else to 
describe that. I talked to her for a little while and she kind of talked to me about what had happened. It was 1977 and, you know, she's white and my father was black and her parents were really prejudiced and, and did not want her to have me. And I finished the conversation with her because honestly, I had taken in as much as I could handle for a 16 year old kid in that moment. I'm sure you were probably how much of this is true. What's going on? Just really, really confused. And so I go back to the table with the friends that I was at the school function with. And mind you, I said I was from small town, Oklahoma, which means pretty much the same friends that I started kindergarten with were the same friends I graduated high school with. Like it's that small, that state where people aren't typically moving in and out, you know? And I get back to the table and one of them told me I looked like I just saw a ghost. And honestly, I felt like I had just saw a ghost. And I told them the story of what had happened. And this is a table of like six or seven 16-year-old girls and nobody says anything. And if you've ever been around a group of 16-year-old girls, we're never quiet, right? Ever. Right. And eventually one of them spoke up and said, we've always known we were just told to never talk about it to you. Wow. And I don't think it hit me until a little bit later. We got on the bus to go home. And when I get there, my dad's home. And and my dad is never home at three o'clock in the afternoon. My dad's a pastor and he worked full time. So it was very rare for my dad to be home at three o'clock in the afternoon. So the fact that my dad was home told me, He was there for a reason that mom had probably called him. So I walked in expecting to have this conversation, expecting to be in some kind of trouble. I felt like I did something wrong from the way she responded on the phone. And so I walk in and everybody's like super happy. And there's like this big old elephant, like just standing on the table in like a hot pink tutu (laughs) and in some Dolce and Gabbana pumps. And nobody is saying anything about this elephant. So they're cooking and talking about my upcoming birthday and about buying me a car for my birthday. And no one mentions anything that had happened earlier that day. So finally, I sit down to the table and my dad was sitting at the table reading a newspaper. And I figured I would shoot my shot. I would take my chance. And I said, Dad, did mom tell you about the conversation I had earlier today with the girl that said she was my sister? He leaned a corner of the newspaper down and he said, yeah, that's crazy, huh? And then he put the newspaper back up to his face, which told me that the conversation was over and there was nothing else said about my adoption for two whole years. Wow. Later that evening, whenever they left to go to a church function, I remembered that they had a special filing cabinet hidden away in the back of their closet that had like shot records and birth certificates and stuff like that, important documents. And something just told me that the answer I needed was in that file cabinet. And I went and looked through that file cabinet. And at the very back of the file cabinet was a stack of papers. And inside that stack of papers was a set of adoption paperwork that said, Baby James, October 30th, 1977, which was my birthday. I remember a small sense of relief. I even remember feeling a sense of excitement and a sense of excitement because it kind of started to all make sense of those moments that I felt like I didn't belong, of those moments that I felt like I, I was different. 
And so here is this whole new world that's being opened up in front of me. And so the next day I go to school and there was basketball in the first hour. And after practice, I walked into the shower and I know I sat in that shower in the fetal position for several hours, just crying, trying to figure out a way, trying to wrap my brain around everything that had just happened in the last 24 hours. In the last 24 hours, I had been basically betrayed by everyone I knew. Everyone in my life knew who I was except for me. And I had such a hard time with that. And it was like when I got up and walked out of that shower, that 16-year-old girl, a part of her, stayed stuck in that shower for a long time. For probably about 22 years, she stayed stuck in that shower. So you say that, but I'm sure that in that 22 years that there were some trials and tribulations that made you into this wonderful, God-fearing woman that I know today. Let me tell you, there is a lot in that 22 years. Immediately after that happened, I started to sneak around and meet up with my birth parents. At least I thought I was sneaking around. And I was confiding in a lady that went to my church and I discovered that that same lady was going back and telling my parents every time I was uniting with my birth families. That whole time for two years, they knew, they just never said anything to me about it. And one day it came to a head. And it was the night before I graduated high school. And I'm going to be honest, you know, growing up in my family, we didn't really have any boundaries. You didn't close doors. You didn't lock your bedroom door. You know, your parents have a right to enter your room at any time. Like nothing was yours, right? You were there. That's their home. I think that that was just a part of their culture. That is how they were raised. And so that's kind of how they raised us. I remember the night before I graduated high school, I was 18 years old and my, my adopted mom was, we were in the front room and we were talking about graduation and my graduation gifts. And she goes, oh yeah. And by the way, I saw that your grandmama gave you a hundred dollars for a graduation gift. Where did you see her at? Well, here's the kicker. The grandmama she was speaking of was my biological mother's mom. And the only way she would have known that is if she would have looked in my senior book and saw that I had written it in there. That pissed me off, just to be honest. Like, I remember seeing red because I felt like this is my life. These people belong to me and you don't really have a right to question me over seeing them. And mind you, you know, this is my 18-year-old brain and how my 18-year-old brain was processing this. So instead of answering, I threw back up, well, since we're going to talk about my adoption, let's talk about it. Mind you, it's been two years at this point. And I feel like they're holding pieces to my puzzle and refusing to give it to me. My mom in that moment, and I understand that hurt people hurt people. That's that's just kind of the way of the world. When we haven't healed, we have a tendency to project that onto other people. And my mom in that moment made a response that stuck with me for the rest of my life. She said, there was a nurse that worked at the hospital that knew me and your dad were trying to conceive and we hadn't been successful. And she called us and said, you know what? We got a half black, half white baby here at the hospital and nobody is going to want her. So if you don't mm. take her, she's going to spend her entire life in an orphanage type of setting. So she said they went and they got me. The only thing I heard out of that that stuck with me 
was nobody is going to want you. And in that moment, I didn't know. I wasn't aware. But in that moment, how I process that internally is that no one wants you. Mm. And I could justify that because my mama had given me away. She had kept all of her other children. She actually, you know, had had a kid right after me. You know, my sister, the one that I met at the school function that day, she's only like, I believe within 12 to 15 months younger than me. So she immediately had another child that she kept. So I had all of these things that could justify nobody wants you, which kind of led me down an amazing path that led me to where I'm at now. But there were a lot of twists and turns. I bet. So what is it that turned your life around? Well, from about 18 until 38, I felt like I was on some type of repeat cycle. You know, I want you to think about what the recycle sign looks like, how there's one arrow that starts and then another arrow picks up and draws back to the end of the other one. I was on a recycle. That's good. on On a recycle pattern to where things in my life constantly were being replayed over and over. You know, I had trouble with relationships. I mean, I was married for 13 years. I became a mother at 19. I went to college on an academic scholarship and had failed. I didn't all the way fail the first semester, but by the second semester, I completely failed and ended up having to withdraw withdraw from school. And I might have had a 1.2 GPA. Like it was pretty sad, you know, what had happened in those moments. I was introduced to drugs, to weed, to alcohol, to pills, and to just a fast life. And I ended up getting married to a man that I'd met, I've known for three months you know, and we were married for 13 years, had two children, but that relationship was a form of toxicness in itself. And I went from that relationship. And then like 10 days later, after we separated, I got into another relationship for seven years. And this time domestic violence was involved in this one. And I just felt like it was on, my life was on repeat. I struggled with friendships. Um, I struggled with understanding my worth and my value. So I got into these relationships clinging on to anybody that would show me a moment of attention, would just try to hold on even when it was nothing worth holding on to because I didn't know who I was. And I believe that I came to full circle in 2000, at the end of 2016, about August of 2016, I knew something was off with me. I just felt like something was off. Like the way I processed things, the way I saw the world, the way I saw myself, I knew there was just so much more in me, but I just didn't know how to tap into it. And so I ended up right at the end of my seven-year relationship, the one that had turned domestically violent. At the end of that relationship, I had found myself going to counseling because what we do is we go to counseling because everybody else in our life's got problems. It's not us. I'm going to counseling because everybody else got issues, right? But I found out very quickly who had issues in counseling. And yes, it was me. And once I got into counseling, the counselor led me to a um, exercise on forgiveness. And it was in the middle of that forgiveness exercise that I realized I couldn't do this on my own. And that is where I connected with Christ on a relationship level, not a religious level, but on a relationship level to where he truly came into my life and began to just change things around on the inside 
And from that moment, I started to see myself in a completely different light. I started to understand what it means when he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I started to understand what it meant when he talks about the plans that he has for me are good. Plans to not harm me and and plans for a prosperous future. I understand what that means now. And it was not long after that, that I made the decision to go back to school. And once I started back, it's just been a consistent growth. And I'm in the field of psychology and and studying now for my master's to be a therapist. And so it's this huge mixture of my life experience and now my education to where I've just seen both sides of the spectrum. So we've heard a little bit about your story and about you. So what I want to know is the name of the entire podcast is Transformation the Podcast. In your personal life, what would you say was the moment that something transformed your trauma? I would say that after a lot of the trauma that I experienced and then my children then experienced because there were not only were they there to witness, you know, the horrible relationships, the unhealthy, toxic relationships, the homelessness periods that we had where we lived in like motels where we had to step over drug needles in order to get into our door or the periods that we didn't have anything to eat. You know, I believe that it came full circle on that day that I sat down and prayed for help in the forgiveness work. I didn't realize how many chains had been tied to me all of these years from not forgiving. Mm. I think that a lot of those chains played a huge role in my ability to not trust. I just know that when there is a breach in trust, that when we are harmed by the people that are supposed to take care of us. And it's not even necessarily an intentional harm, but trauma is still done anytime a child is separated from a biological parent. And and we need to understand that and be able to talk about that and get over our shame with that. Because a lot of parents that adopt babies feel like they're adopting with a clean slate, but that child has already been through trauma with separating that child from its parent, because that's not the way God intended mothering to work. You know, when you say that it brings back what you said earlier, when you first heard your mother's voice on the phone and you said, you remember hearing that voice. Absolutely. There was something in me that recognized the familiarity of her voice. And that wasn't a voice that could be put there. That wasn't a voice that I had heard from somewhere else, that was a voice that my body knew, that my brain knew. And I think that when we can fully talk about the trauma that happens with parental separation, I think that we can begin to change how we view adoption and the foster care system. That is so good. So good. If you had one goal for this podcast, what would it be and why? That someone somewhere that's stuck, maybe not even aware that they're stuck, but someone like me that's living a life on repeat cycles. You're running from abandonment. You're running from rejection. You don't know who you are. That someone would be able to come into this community, recognize who they are, and flourish to become the person that God has created them to be. I know that this is going to touch so many people's lives, and you are going to help so many people through other people's stories of things that they've gone through 
and ways that they've overcame so many things. In your lifetime, what is a couple things that you can think of that helped you to overcome some of your obstacles? Well, I am glad that you asked that question because I've actually been able to do a little bit of research on this um, during the period that I truly began to heal. I journaled everything. I journaled in the morning. I journaled at night. I have tons and tons of notebooks with my journaling. And one day I sat down, well, it took me a couple of weeks, but I sat down and noticed recurring themes that kept happening in my journal. And so I came up with four components Um, to healing. And the first component is deal. So we have to be able to acknowledge and recognize where we're at. You know, like I've heard my pastor say several times that God doesn't bless us where we pretend to be. He blesses us where we really are. And I think a lot of times, kind of like me, is that I just didn't want to deal with my past. I didn't understand how my past correlated to my present and then determined my future. I didn't understand how all of that worked together. And so when I didn't have to deal with it, when I stuck it in a box, wrapped that box up in paper, dipped it in concrete and stored it way back in the back of my mind, I thought that I was safer that way. And what I didn't recognize is that things trigger us and we have this tendency for those things to come out and we not even understand or know what's going on with us. And so the first thing that I had to do was deal. I had to deal that my relationship with God was broken. You know, I would use scriptures to cover stuff up, you know, that whole pray, I'm going to pray for you, sister, and I'm going to pray for me. And, you know, that was just a cover up. That was nothing heartfelt. You know, there was not an actual relationship with Christ. And I had to acknowledge that. I had to acknowledge all the lies that I believed about myself, that I was unwanted, that I was unlovable, that nobody would want me, that I would constantly be rejected and that people would consistently abandon me. I had to come to full reality that I believed those lies. And then there were things about myself that were positive that I didn't believe that I really and truly am a pretty awesome person. Yes, you know, you are. I didn't believe that. I just saw myself as this horrible, horrible person. And so there were many things in that that I had to deal with. Um, Even the state of my physical body, how I had kind of let myself, not kind of, I had let myself go from in one year, I think I checked and I gained almost 87 pounds in one year. I was fighting consistent depression, constantly anxious, suffered from major anxiety and never sought any, any mental health help for Mm -hmm. all of those years, you know, and it was just because you didn't go to other people and talk to other people about your business. But I am so grateful I live in a generation that's starting to understand, no, 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 that is not the way it works, that we are not taught how to process things. We're not taught how to cope. We cope the way we see people in our family coping. We process things the best way we can, but that doesn't mean we always know the most healthiest way. And going to therapy taught me new coping mechanisms like grounding and and being mindful. And I also learned too how to see things from a different perspective. So that was, that's deal. Um, The second step in this process is feel. I wasn't very good at feeling and if it hurt, I dang sure didn't want to feel it. And so I would find myself finding ways to not feel, you know, I would 
stay drunk or stay high. You know, I popped pills, everything to take me out of my current reality, anything that prevented me from dealing. And even sex was a way to prevent that. Not knowing how to get those needs met and manipulating and controlling my way into feeling good for just that temporary moment. So having to sit in that, in that ugly, in that sadness, in that hurt, in that rejection, sitting in that, and then being able to process those feelings in a healthy way. So that's feel. And I would definitely recommend if you have never received therapy before, it's a great time to start. And the third step on that is forgive. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks healing. Oprah has a really good definition of forgiveness that I've kind of taken to. It says that forgiveness changes the expectation that the past can be any different. And the moment that we can recognize that we can't go back and undo anything that's been done, but I can choose to no longer be tied to you and I can go on to live my life. So forgiveness is not for the other person because I'm not saying that what you did to me was cool. But I am saying that at this point in time, I can't go back. I can't change that. So what I'm going to do is let you go right here and I'm going to move forward in the best way that I know how. Forgiveness, unforgiveness blocks our blessings because even in the Bible, you know, God talks to them about lay that sacrifice down, go get right with your brother, and then come back and offer me a sacrifice. So forgiveness is just a very important part of the healing process. But it doesn't mean that you have to reconnect with anyone. Um, it just means that I'm going to let that that go. And live is the last step in this. And live is about living intentionally, doing things differently going forward, getting out of that cycle, getting out of that pattern. And implementing things into my daily schedule that will make me the best person that I can be today. So doing a 15 minute devotional each morning or doing walking or yoga or something along those lines that can help to put me in a clear state of mind. It's about using healthy coping skills, setting boundaries, doing walking or yoga or something along those lines that can help to put me in a clear state of mind. It's about using healthy coping skills, setting boundaries, and being aware of who's in my circle, because who is in our circle is really important. Your circle of support, and I'm so glad I have you, because you are such an amazing support system in my life. Who we have is very, very important in our circle and around us. So it's deal, feel, forgive, and live. And those were the four components that I went through throughout the course of this healing journey and continuing to go through today. Right. Those are very, very important. This has been very fun, and I love hearing your story each and every time that I hear it, because I feel like you are such an amazing person, and I know that each one of these people listening to this podcast are going to get a little piece of you every week and get to hear a little bit more about you as well as other people. Listeners, you can tune in here and listen to future podcasts, but Shante, where else can the listeners find you at? You can also find me, um, Trauma Transformation Adoptee Advocates, at trauma-transformation.com. You can also find me on social media. I am Trauma Transformation 
adoptee advocates on Facebook and on Instagram. It's trauma underscore transformation underscore advocate without the S. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Thank you for being with me today, Shana. I love you so much. Talking about our adoptions can often be really challenging and triggering for some of us. If you're having a hard time right now, I suggest that you find mental health assistance in your area or spiritual guidance or even both. I'm available for adoptee coaching if you're looking at making positive changes in your life to get different results. To all of the listeners, thank you so much for being a part of our journey. These next 16 weeks, we'll cry together, we'll laugh together, and we'll heal together. Trauma Transformation, the podcast, is a podcast for the adoptee community. Please make sure to like, share, comment, subscribe. I want to know what you're thinking because what you're thinking matters to me. Well, that's all we have on our show for you today. Thank you again for your time and your attention. Next week, we have my friend DeAndre that will be sharing his amazing story of transformation. I can't wait for you to be a part of that. So we'll see you next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Always know that you are loved, valued, and enough. God bless.